Good evening and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser this evening. Today um, I am out running some Christmas errands so I figured I would uh, take the time to take a few minutes and record another final episode of uh, 2020 uh, for uh, the before the uh, I guess New Year's strikes. Uh, the time of recording it is the 22nd of December. And we have just wrapped up a, uh, oh boy, our almost our entire year of, uh, of gaming. Uh, we have a couple of uh, sessions planned, but this year uh, we may, I'm not sure if we're going to have a, uh, a New Year's marathon. We haven't in years past, uh, but this year I don't know just because uh, with COVID, um, my uh, son is not going to be uh, anywhere he's got any, not got anything else to do so he's gonna have to hang out with his old man <laughs> so i may very well be doing that instead of running the thing but I, I don't know his plans are still up in the air but in any event uh let's talk about um the last few minutes of uh uh of um time in 2021 uh, before we head into 2021 and maybe i'll talk a little bit about plans for 2021 as well too so with that said let's get to the episode so since my last recording, um, oh, we've had our 51st session of our uh, Legacy of the Crystal Shard game. Uh, we've had our 87th session of our uh, Night Below campaign. So those those campaigns continue on uh, as before and are still going strong. Um, the uh, let's see here. Uh, for between now and the end of the year, I'm 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 not sure if we're going to run it, but I'm certainly going to prep the um uh a uh, ravenloft uh campaign or campaign ravenloft uh, adventure uh to uh, coincide with the release of beetling grimm's really awesome uh, legendary edition of the uh curse of strahd uh setting um one um one oh we also had our uh, final session of uh, astonishing swordsmen and sorcerers of hyperborea for the year um i've had in the last two weeks i think that the uh the year is finally getting to me because I had on both Saturday mornings, uh, when we had the Saturday morning sessions, uh, normally I have no difficulty whatsoever getting up for those things. But, uh, on one of them, I forgot before I went to bed to set the stupid alarm. And, uh, the second time I set the stupid alarm, but I slept through it. So there, um, uh, I, clearly, uh, it was, I've been a little distracted coming, uh, the end of year, but the end of year has been quite, um, it's been nice, uh, not only, you know, because this year, and I know that 2020, like the, the issues we've had with the pandemic and whatnot, they're not going to be over come 2021, um, you know, like a throwing a light switch, but it just like psychically, it feels good to be, um, passing on and leaving at least this, you know, arbitrary chunk of time behind us. I'm always a fan of uh, celebrating the new year and as an opportunity to, uh, you know, to um, consider what how things have been going and consider how you want things to go in the coming year. And uh, so, I mean, I, that really, I get uh, there's still going to be lingering issues, but it does feel like um, the time ahead of us uh, where we're going to continue living in the current the state that we've been living in for the last you know, eight uh, to nine months, um, nine months now, I guess, good Lord, um, that we're hopefully going to be segueing into a shorter period of, of the same before we, uh, start seeing some change. So, um, 
at any event, I mean, I'm, I'm overly defending my uh, choice, my, you know, my uh, reasons for being excited for the new year, but uh, I am really excited for the new year. Uh, not only because it will mark our third year of, uh, of our Sunishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game and the second year of our Night Below campaign. Um, also because just, you know, now in retrospect, uh, having seen just how many games we managed to get to the table, uh, I'm feeling a lot better about um, uh, about the diversity of games uh, that we uh, we played this year. We certainly did not play nearly as uh, as big a variety of games as we did last year. I don't remember the numbers offhand, but I remember them being in the like forty or you know so range. Uh, this year we ran twenty six different games uh, throughout the year, which is still pretty darn good. And we, uh, I don't know the numbers in front of me, but it's, it's in the neighborhood of about 813 hours of uh, streamed games uh, f- to, to date, which is, um, is pretty crazy. And, and that's not including, like, you know, the overviews I've recorded over the past year. It's not including my, you know, updates, which I kind of stopped doing after the pandemic started. Um, but um, it's been pretty, um, yeah, I mean, it's been pretty... Uh, it's been pretty great, um, you know. We the, of the games. I don't have the specific numbers in front of me because I'm I'm already driving distracted by recording this, and I'm not going to add to the uh, potential calamity by reading and recording and driving. But the uh, the numbers are, are in the range of uh, it's like fifty, I think fifty five or something uh, of the games, or fifty three percent of the games that we of the hours we spent playing this year were actually a night below. And that's a really, I think, a really impressive. Um, I mean, maybe impressive sounds too a little self-congratulatory, but uh, it, it feels like it's a that, that was that's a good length of time to spend with uh, with a campaign. You know, fifty. That's about four hundred or so hours. Uh, I can't remember the final tally. Well, actually, the number the we numbered the session, so I know it's like eighty-seven uh, plus the four four D D four E. Uh, ones that we played, so I guess like 91 sessions, all set in or around the uh, night below setting. So that's um, that's really crazy. I mean, that's, that's really, really. I think um, that's the that's the pace of a really committed, you know, um, twice weekly uh, group, which is I guess what we're what our pace of play is anyway. Um, the uh, the total number of um, of AD and D games uh, bumps it up to, including the Legacy of the Crystal Shard game, bumps it up to about sixty-seven percent. So, uh, like a huge chunk of the games that we streamed this year were all uh, Advanced Dungeons of Dragon Second Edition, which is uh, I, really interesting. Um, in particular, when you consider that last year's, I think number one game that we ran was Pathfinder Second. So, um, it's it's interesting because we were running similar types of campaigns. Uh, with both of them, where we were, you know, flipping, uh, we we're having a rotating table, we we're having different people in. Um, we got the characters got less far level wise with uh, Pathfinder two than they did with uh, AD&D second. Because Pathfinder we capped out around level five or maybe level six. I don't think anyone made it there. Maybe um, I think it was level five was the highest we ever got. But the um, the AD&D games, we've got characters who are in their 70s, or 70s, in the 7th level now, uh, in the Night Below. Uh, there's a couple of ones who are 7th level, and there are, um, most characters are 6th or 7th level in our 
legacy of the crystal shard game as well too the different pace of play there uh, comes from the training or the training requirement uh, where you know uh, the night below characters are about uh, 30 sessions like reaching their their um, seventh level around 30 sessions slower uh, than the others but with the training requirement that's sort of what we expected there's also been more time that's passed in that campaign than in um, Legacy of the Crystal Shard Legacy of the Crystal Shard has all happened over the span of like maybe two months uh, whereas um, we're coming up on our second year in game time of um, uh, of uh, Night Below and that just it it um, I think it gives a different um yeah, I mean, it gives a different uh, feeling as to how lived in the uh, the different uh, settings are. Uh, although, I mean, I think that, um, you know, with 50 sessions in the, uh, 51 sessions in uh, the Icewind Dale, it definitely feels like it is a, you know, a lived-in area. Like, the, the characters, I think, have a really good sense of the, you know, of, I don't mean just the physical geography, I mean, like, what kind of people and power struggles and whatnot, like what, who are the people that occupy the, um, the legacy or the uh, Icewind Dale. And, uh, in a similar way, our characters, you know, they, I think in the night when, in the, uh, night below campaign, they just know that, um, you know, know that setting so well. And it's, it's interesting. I don't, we certainly didn't play as many sessions of, Pathfinder 2 last year as we did uh, AD&D 2nd this year but I don't know I mean it just it um, I I I can't speak for the players and I haven't spoken to them yet about this and I really should have before uh, recording this but my feeling is like for myself the uh, the reason I feel that um, the the uh, AD&D has been a better We've seen better, you know, mileage or distance with uh, AD&D than we did with uh, PF2. For myself, is that I don't have to worry about the players leveling out of the content. You know, I um, it is much easier for me to rework some content that the um, uh, that the uh, that you know was originally scaled for. Uh, I mean, to be honest, we're so off script with Night Below anyway, and with Legacy of the Crystal Shard that I'm kind of writing it as I go anyway. But it's. Um, you know, it's been um, it's been really easy uh, for me to just not think about you know when we're going to reach level X, and I, I I don't know like you don't necessarily have to do that with those games, uh, but you're really making life hard for yourself if you're not because of the you know requirement for balanced encounters and things like that, or at least the assumption by the game that you're going to be running balanced encounters. I think that. Um, one of the things for myself uh, that I drew from from AD and D uh, so much, and one of the reasons why I enjoy it so much is just that you know I love spending that time. I love there being a gradual progression as opposed to a um, meteoric rise, you know. And if you're you know if you don't want to spend forever in an adventure path, or I, I'm I'm curious as to what you know timeline that uh, Paizo expects people to play through not only the adventure paths that they publish, but also like to go through that, that experience of going from level one, uh, all the way up to, uh, you know, to level, um, uh, to mass level, to level 20. Okay. And this guy, what is he doing? Lady, you are a bad driver. Yeah. We just, at the time of uh, recording, we just had a blizzard 
and this numbskull ahead of me has uh, almost uh, clipped my uh, Jeep going along. So my random encounter is going to be with uh, some lady driving a Benz. Um, the, um, in any event, the, um, what do you call it? Um, I think that what I would do, like there's, that's not an, an insurmountable problem. And it's, and I mean, it's only a problem, not of the game. It's a problem that it's how I like to, uh, you know, how I, I like to run games and how I like to see the progress of uh, characters through their levels. Knowing that that's my peccadillo, you know, that I, I don't want to see people go up too high. I'll just slow things down. You know, and make sure that the players are aware of that. You know, make sure the players are aware that uh, at the start of a campaign, that like, look, we're going to be spending a fair amount of time at each level. You know, it's going to be ten sessions or, or more um, at each level, so uh, so that the campaign feels like it is advancing in a meaningful or at least in a credible, I guess, pace. And you know, the thing that's I think um, interesting about um, about that is that like. You know, like the power levels between the different characters. There, there are, um, you know, there are definitely differences in games like Fourth Edition or um, or uh, Pathfinder Two or Starfighter, for that matter. I mean, it's not quite D and D, but it's very, very close. And um, the where you know the relative level of your opponents is keyed to your characters, or it's it's a relative level, I should say. The the challenge and whatnot of the opponents is a measure of how they are in, in relation to, uh, to your character. So what that means is that um, you're kind of always going to be in a space where there will be people you are stronger than, people that you are equal to, and people that are stronger than you that will present bigger challenges. Um, that's not, you know, I mean, I think that the way, mechanically that's not how D&D works, uh, D or AD&D, uh, and nor is it, I think, how 5th edition works. Uh, because like you can feel better than um, you know than certain adversaries at a certain point. That's also not a you know a deal breaker for those systems either. Because I think that what you do is the way you manage that is with what they are dealing with. You know if uh, if the characters are dealing with a lot of um, say goblins in their uh, you know in their campaign, um, then you know, and then as they go up, you make goblins weaker, you know, and so the characters can really stand out. The, the way to make sure that they're feeling like there's progress in terms of power level and, and so forth is by making sure that um, the players are more powerful than the, you know, than the goblins. Uh, make sure that they are, um, they have an opportunity to feel like the badasses that they've become in comparison to how, you know, previous uh, encounters with goblins went. And, um, and I think that's, um, you know, it, it's just it's a little easier to just let the rules sort themselves out uh, with uh, AD and D second uh, and with D and D fifth, to be honest, uh, because of uh, the way bounded accuracy sort of works with that and the hit points and the damage you do. But it is, um, you know, um, and I mean Pathfinder does that as well too. I don't find I don't find that uh, the the level band of things that you know can credibly show up in your session are as or is as narrow in Pathfinder Second as it is in D and D Fourth. D and D Fourth, you really can only go like three levels above or below before it just becomes kind of uh, like comically tragic or just full on tragic, um, where there's not really an adversary. Like there are different mechanics to do that, but Pathfinder Two is a little more. Uh, 
it does a little bit better of a job of um, of allowing for a bigger range. Like you can, I think it's like five above, four or five above are still reason. Like four, a thing that's four levels above your your party is going to be very tough, but it's not insurmountable. So, um, so anyway, I mean that there's like for for long term campaigns, there the there isn't mechanical reasons why. Uh, a gradual progression like this and a feeling of achievement over the course of the campaign where characters are outpacing uh, what were once very challenging former adversaries, you know, that still can, um, that, that can be implemented into those other games. But AD&D, second for myself, it does, I feel like it does it a lot um, with a lot less effort. Um, and it's, yeah, so that's, um, that's pretty cool. Um, the other game uh, that, like the, the third or, most run game uh, in our in our year was a bit of a surprise for myself. It was uh, Degenesis. It was um, uh, Six More Vodka's Degenesis. Uh, we ran that for my annual gaming marathon this year, and we actually played more hours in the gaming marathon than I think we normally. Well, I mean, than we've done on average at our gaming marathons. They average between about twelve and fifteen or sixteen hours, and we ran a little more than sixteen hours. Uh, over the course of the weekend this time. And um, the Genesis is, uh, I completely, completely, if you're not familiar with it, the Genesis is a post-apocalyptic game, but it has a very, it's got a very unique setting, a very distinctive setting that takes a lot of the, well, actually, I've talked about this in the podcast before at length, I think, but just for for the sake of, uh, it's been six months, so for the sake of Refresher, um, and because it's you know such a, a huge presence on the channel, I guess this year, relatively speaking, um, we uh, it's it has a lot of the tropes of um, a post apocalyptic setting, like you know apocalyptic cults and mutants and uh, you know psychics and um, you know uh, scavengers and raiders and whatnot, uh, as well as um, um, gosh, like uh, you know renegade robots and, and stuff like that. Uh, technology posing as magic, so there's a lot of that stuff in um, in the setting, but it is all given a very very clever kind of postmodern twist to it, where it's not radiation that causes the mutations. It's it's a it's a more credible, I think, setting and a more grounded setting as well. But it is um, uh, it's free as well too. If you uh, if if this any of this sounds uh, you know vaguely of interest to you, be sure to go to DGenesis. Uh, dot com and you can find all of the um, all the rule books, all the adventures, everything, and tons of supplemental supplemental material uh, for free on the uh, on the site there. So you, um, but anyway, we uh, we had just an enormous amount of fun with the uh, uh, with the campaign this year, or with the um, playing through one of the adventures, and um, we. Uh, I made uh, I made the characters for for everybody. We played pre-gens uh, with it, but uh, so we haven't had a chance to really go through a group, you know, character creation. But holy shit, what an interesting setting! Like, really, uh, it it uses its own game mechanics. It has its own uh, set of rules uh, that it uses um, called the catharsis system, uh, spelled differently with a uh, the K and a Y, but or maybe there is a Y in catharsis. Uh, but in any event, the um, the catharsis system, which is basically like a, a kind of like a dice pool system, you're rolling dice and you're looking for successes, um, and it just it, it is a nice um, light touch system to go with a very narrative heavy 
you know, setting-heavy um, role-playing game. The the setting is definitely the thing that plays up, and it is not. It could really do with a good starter set. And I mean, the the creators really they take pride in the fact that like it is rewarding, um, or at least they take the they take pride with this in, in the setting, which is rightfully earned because it's it's just the art in it is gorgeous, and the um, the the uh, system is is really solid. And the uh, like, enemies and adversaries and stuff are just fantastic in the game as well. Really, really great game. But they take a, a distinct position where you know if you want to learn the the setting and the systems, read the books. They're free online, so read the books. So it is. Um, it can be a little intimidating for people to get into the game. I can't remember, remember if there is a a quick start. There actually might be a quick start uh, for it, but um, it it's. Um, the things that, that really interest me about the game is because of the credibility of the setting, because it takes itself, you know, um, seriously, uh, it, um, you know, it offers a really compelling, um, it really, it offers a really compelling reason for running a long-term campaign with that. You're, you're supposed to play, like, in this wild and crazy setting with all this, like, you know, crazy technology and, and different belief systems and, and factions and some of the bizarre, you know, um, homodegenesis mutants that you'll face over the uh, course of the campaign, it still f- centers the the campaign on, uh, or centers the game on characters and personality. You know, it's um, the thing that is uh, um, that is really important for the for the you know for for successfully running the game is to see it through the lens of the character's interests. And there's stuff in the character generation system that really uh, brings that to light and focuses it. And um, it's just, and even the, the adventures too, the adventures are written in a really unusual way that is more like a travel log through the adventure, the story of the adventure with some rules elements added in throughout and some very brief discussion of how things might have happened differently. But more often than not, it's um, there. It's not the kind of module you can open and just run. Uh, so that's also makes it a little more challenging to get the game to the table. But it's, um, I mean, when you do, when you do put that work in, and you do, um, you know, actually run the the game, uh, it is phenomenal. It's really, really, really cool. Uh, and since posting. The uh, stats for the coming up for the past year too. We have seen uh, people request that and said they really enjoyed it. And at least one person picked up the the game book as a result of uh, the session. So that is great. I mean, anytime uh, we you know um, anytime we love a game and someone else loves the game and wants to see it at their table, that's that's just terrific. Um, the last part of the top, like I, I did a top five, but really a top seven would have been more appropriate because the last three were really, really close, like within minutes of each other. But um, the Astonishing... So- AD&D was the most run game. A- uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea was a very close... Uh, not a very close, was a second, but fairly distant. Third was uh, Degenesis. Fourth was D&D Fourth, because of our recent, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of marathon of running that. Uh, D&D Fifth is... Um, uh, hold on, D&D Fifth cult divinity lost and um boy oh boy what was the fifth the other one 
it was D&D 5th, it was D&D 5th, D&D 4th, and uh, Cult Divinity Lost. Those were the uh, the other games that uh, uh, that uh, made up the, the final most run games. And, like, as far as those go, like, in comparison to the amount we played AD&D, it's like 1.9% is the most, you know? So, like, it's it's a... Our, the vast majority of our year was spent playing that. But we did play an awful lot of other interesting games throughout the year, too. So, you know, we played some... Um, oh, gosh. I mean, I, the, the other sort of, like, um, games we got a lot of time at the table with, or relatively speaking, are, like, Modern Age. Uh, we ran uh, the threefold campaign at the beginning of the year before the pandemic started. We played um, The Expanse uh, for uh, about three sessions. Um, we played... Uh, some Pathfinder 2nd Edition as well, too, which was uh, pretty... Uh, was our Innistrad campaign, which also got folded as a result of the uh, the, the campaign, or the uh, pandemic, rather. And um, we ran a little bit... A little, you know, a little bit of a bunch of other things as well, too. But the... Uh, it, it's been very much a uh, an AD&D year, which is not, you know, by any means a bad thing. Um, so that is... Um, that's what we uh, we ran this year. Let's talk about um, what lessons you know. What did that uh, What did that teach me? What lessons can I draw from that? So that in the next segment. All right. So what lessons uh, can I draw from uh, from the games we got to the table this year? I mean, uh, I think for one, you know the uh, the. Uh, from a personal perspective, uh, AD&D Second is, if I want an ongoing campaign um, that you know requires uh, very little, that that doesn't aggravate some of the um, the concerns that I get with level-based games uh, in the long term. It doesn't do, you know, doesn't have that. Um, I also love, to be honest, like I love the combat in uh, AD&D Second as well too. You know, we we make use of um, astonishing fortune in uh, in our campaigns. One of the house rules that we have, which allows, you know, there's a number of every session we have a number of points of astonishing fortune equal to the number of players who have showed up, and then um, sometimes I grant extra astonishing fortune based on circumstances, like we had on. Uh, Sunday, one of the players uh, who um, we have a running joke that uh, he has his uh, has his mic muted. Uh, he actually had a, either had a T-shirt made or picked up a T-shirt that says "Turn on your mic," <laughs> and it really got me. Uh, so, and I mean the whole group too. So I granted extra. But what you can do with that is just you can uh, not die. You can uh, re-roll uh, a, like a skill or an attack or a uh, attribute test uh, roll from your character, something that your character is actively doing. You don't get to re-roll things like surprise or, you know, um, uh, gosh, what else? Uh, weather, you know, or random encounters or things like that. Um, you're you're stuck with, or like, um, um, I don't think I've been allowing it for... Um, no magic either. Like for uh, when you're making the roll for um, learning uh, for whether you can learn a specific spell from a specific source. That's one of the house rules I use too. Is that if you make a, a you have to make an intelligence uh, check base or like a number based on your intelligence uh, to know whether you can actually learn a spell from a specific source or not. 
And if you fail that, then you're, you have to find some other source. It doesn't mean you can't learn the spell. It just means that you can't learn it from them. Uh, so I don't let them re-roll that. Some of the things that just have more meaningful consequence, I think, is uh, stuff that I don't, uh, I don't let... Um, not meaningful consequence. I think the things that, that feel like there should be less narrative agency, you know, where it, would, it, it plays to the long-term of the campaign as opposed to the instance of the session. When you're making a, you know, a decision to re-roll or whatever, uh, or, you know, to, to make a, a roll on, um, a specific, um, you know, dex check or something like that, that relates to the specific session and the consequences of that flow to the specific session. That's, that's really it. Uh, as opposed to stuff that has long-term consequence, like, you know, um, like learning spells or like, uh, you know, identify or, you know, you're casting the identify spell. Um, because there is already a baked in, it's not a, you know, fail and fail forever. And it doesn't have a consequence just on the specific session. It has a consequence on the, on the ongoing campaign. Um, and it also to, to allow astonishing fortune to usurp that role. It kind of robs some of the other, some of the other fun elements of AD and D of their teeth, the things that, that give it the, um, uh, such a wonderful um, flavor over the, the course of the long-term play. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm going into way more depth about my uh, narrative metacurrency than I maybe need to, but um, what is this person doing here? Um, the uh, So that's been really uh, great. Um, in addition, uh, let's see, what else have I learned? Um, you know, I mean, I, I definitely, any thought I had about low-level play not being consequential or not being important is out the freaking window uh, because, boy, oh, boy, like, uh, uh, the early part of both of our campaigns was really, really, really good. I mean, the campaigns have continued to be really good for a long time, too, but that early that, that early experience is something that was either written in one of the earlier, like, DMG-type books uh, or it's something that was written in a Dragon magazine or it's just you know, um, accepted knowledge or, you know, inherited wisdom kind of stuff where the tone you set in those early sessions, that is what, um, dictates what the play is going to be like at higher levels. I think it's actually a dragon magazine. I think it was a, uh, it was a dragon magazine for, uh, in the third edition era that had that. And one of the things that, uh, the comment was, was that, you know, if you make things easy or make them feel like super how, you know, Make, take it easy on them in the early levels. They they will not learn to to be careful, and, and they will come to expect that. And if you violate that, um, you know what was uh, what you set as the um, as the expectations for the um, what do you call it for the game as to like difficulty and fairness and blah blah blah. Then you know it'll become a problem at higher levels. With this, we really set that tone early on. Um, and there was no need to kill anybody for that, you know, like the, uh, the level of investment the players have in their, in their characters and the, um, the long-term consequence of, of close shaves, you know, um, by way of the mortal wounds or, or uh, yeah, the mortal wounds table that we're using from, um, uh, Adventure of Conqueror King, they, um, they really give the, they give the campaign... Um, you know, those close calls, those uh, near-death experiences, they give them the sufficient gravitas that, that they should have. 
you know, um, players, I, I, I did not, uh, you know, request that they do this, but players have, uh, you know, been able to say, oh yeah, I got that scar from whatever, you know, um, and the, the funny thing is, is those close shaves, more so than like, oh, I went to negative hit points or like I died and I had to roll a new character. It's, it's adds to the overall experience of the campaign when players are like, yeah, no, I can't run. I'm sorry. I can't force March guys. Like I, I need to, I'd love to help out. We could, you know, push through this bad snowstorm, but because of that bum leg I got after the fight with X, you know, I, I just can't, um, I can't carry on that way. Um, it's great. And every, every one of the players has embraced it. It is definitely not for every campaign. I mean, like I, I wouldn't adopt these rules for that, but for player investment and for, um, not only in the campaign, but in the characters and the ease of, of throwing in NPCs for the characters to control for a session. Like it's just, it's, it's a really, really good level of careful detail, you know, and uh, there's a degree of detail or granularity when you're making your character um, by way of uh, like kits and uh, proficiencies the way, with what we're playing with uh, and selection of race, I suppose as well, um, or ancestry depending on the game. But the, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a good game. I love the, uh, weapon, like everything that, um, I, I love the, uh, group, um, initiative, uh, mechanic in it as well. Uh, I think that, um, because of the way that we sort of, we, uh, run the group initiative, it, uh, it keeps it running at a pace that is, that doesn't sacrifice drama, you know, like the momentum keeps going even with a very big group. I mean, and I guess, you know, one of the added benefits too is because the game allows us to incorporate uh, NPCs quite easily, um, and then we um, we can have uh, players take over those NPCs with very little trouble and they've got more things to do. You know, if we've got 12, you know, uh, combatants uh, active in, a, um, in an encounter, like this past weekend, uh, we had a great uh, big group for, um, what do you call it, for our... Uh, Legacy of the Crystal Shard campaign, and we'd also recently introduced four new NPCs, and we already had an, another five, uh, another NPC as well. So five NPCs, six players, and uh, the, one of the players also has a um, like an animated wolf stone statue that uh, he takes advantage of. And the um, the cool thing with um, you know the cool thing with with that is. With 12 combatants in that thing, it still did not take us... It was about an hour and a half for a really big fight. Like, they fought 20 gnolls before the um, the gnolls... Uh, they drove the gnolls off. But, like, an hour and a half for that long of, and that involved of a combat is... I mean, what game is going to have any kind of tactical depth to it and not uh, take that long to, uh, to go? Or that short of time? that was only half our sessions. We got lots of good role-playing, lots of good exploration in as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it just, it's, um, I think that's, that's the other thing is the, uh, the level of granularity, uh, that I think, I think granularity is what, and, uh, you know, what, what to, is more pejoratively called crunch. Um, I think, I feel like it's necessary for, um, for a more grounded game, you know, like if you're going to run uh, a more cinematic thing where people are jumping off of, you know, from like 
one fly air car to another air car or something like that or some other some similar type kind of crazy stuff where that's um, that's what you want your game about. like when I run Eberron that's what I want it to be about I think that's where definitely like 5e uh, is a better pick for that because you don't need to track all of that stuff you don't need that level of granularity you need some tactical depth to make it for an interesting game um, or at least for something to be of interest to our group uh, but you don't need to have the same level of, um, you know, uh, the same level of detail as you get in uh, AD&D second, like weapon speed and whatever, you know, just casting speed and stuff like that. Uh, which comes to, I guess, another thing, uh, one lot less, and this is not, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here, but I asked my players afterwards, um, you know, um, what, uh, you know, what, well, I guess for the first thing is is that I, I've made a decision about the way that I run uh, charity games because the, that then in the uh, uh, for those who are not familiar, what I do every or have done for the last three years is offer a series of uh, charity sessions at the start of the year. I'll, I'll say, you know, however many. Uh, usually, for when it's a full year, it's six sessions. So I'll offer six sessions, and then if someone donates a hundred dollars to um, the uh, Hero Save Villages uh, charity campaign we have on the channel that dedicate that uh, benefits SOS Children's Villages International. Then um, I'll run a four-hour session for them of their game of their choice, and uh, I'll t- you know try and put together the group for them as well too. And we, I think we did seven. We actually sold seven this year, so seven seven hundred bucks, which is great. Um, but really, like the the vast majority of the money that comes in in our year comes from our raffle, from our, our annual raffle or our biannual actually. Because um, the the raffle this year was like twenty five hundred or something like that. Like it was it was a really hugely it was enormously successful. No, it was more than that because we beat the uh, the target number. Um, so what um, I also found was that a lot of the time, what my it was my my friends, my players, who were kicking in their you know the money right away so that I'd run us not so I would but I mean so that I'd I'd run a session uh, for for them and. And then they were, and for the most part, it was it was roster players who uh, you know who uh, got to get sessions this year, and I the I'm always always happy to run you know games by request for uh, for friends like I, I love doing that kind of stuff, um, but what I didn't I was less comfortable with is I, I didn't want there to feel for players to feel that there was an expectation that they needed to donate. You know, like that, uh, if they're going to play in the games, they need to be financially donating to the charity. I don't think that was the case for any of them because I've talked to the players about that, and and uh, uh, that's great. But um, even if that played a, uh, you know, an infinitesimally small uh, role in um, in them making their decision that way, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. So um, for this year, I'm going to try something a little different. Sorry. Sorry, folks. I paused there for a second because I was trying to get uh, parking in this bad condition. I'll be back in a moment. Sorry about that. The uh, so yeah, the what I didn't want was for the players to feel even an iota amount of obligation with having to uh, contribute like the uh, 
collaborative endeavor that is our uh, our streaming you know it doesn't work without them so there's absolutely no need for them to to pay and what I but I do like you know saying thank you to them so what I did is I told them um, that I think what I'll do because I do also like um, having the you know kind of uh, the opportunity to run um, to run a bunch of different games as well too you know uh, of our charity sessions this year I think all of them um, were games that we were not running uh, on an ongoing basis on the channel you know the uh, I think I'm, I'm almost positive that's the case because we we had uh, Conan we had uh, Savage Worlds we had uh, gosh what did we else run um, Star Wars Saga Edition uh, we had Microscope um and we had oh I don't even remember <laughs> I don't don't even remember at this point but in any event the um, yeah it was a good uh, a good series of sessions um, and what I wanted to do I mean I like having a an idea or a prompt thrown at me and then having to oh Pathfinder second edition as well too so um, so what I'm gonna do this coming year is I'm gonna uh, take I've talked to the players and got a sense of what they'd kind of like to do um, you know, with it, and then we, the rough idea right now, we're going to try and tie in more of the fundraising with the, uh, raffle, because, I mean, the, the, the raffle is the most, um, uh, the, you know, the, the most successful fundraising effort we've, we've done, and we have two, sorry, three really, really awesome prizes already, um, from, uh, our friends at Beetle and Grimm, they've sent us, uh, copies of the Platinum Edition of, uh, Rise of the Frost or Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Uh, we have a silver edition of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and we have a legendary edition of the Curse of Strahd. And that's um, I didn't buy the silver edition of the um, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, but I actually bought a platinum copy, uh, and I bought a uh, Curse of Strahd, the uh, legendary edition of Curse of Strahd, uh, because I they make phenomenal uh, products, and and uh, with how uh, supportive they've been thus far you know, with our, uh, our initiatives on the channel, it's certainly the least I could do, uh, and, uh, and I also, I mean, they are just fucking gorgeous box sets as well, too, so there's that, but, um, in any event, uh, what we're gonna do is try and tie in more stuff to the, uh, the raffle, we think, this year, and that way, um, players, um, you know, people get a chance to, uh, to win some stuff, and then what it, they're also gonna do is we're gonna tie it in with, um, some of the uh, the games we that uh, we run for the for the raffle, we might actually have a second marathon this year as well too. I still intend on having a our regular gaming marathon. Hopefully, you know if if um, circumstances uh, work out that it'll be um, you know it'll be the uh, in person uh, you know uh, marathon like we've done in years past. But if not, this past year's digital marathon was still really really good like it, it was a lot of fun to play with uh with the um uh, you know with our regular uh crew you know as it were uh for the marathon so i, I really really enjoyed that so it wouldn't be at the end of the world but i think what we're going to do is give opportunities for donors to select things like the game or characters or whatnot um we've got some other ideas of doing more collaborative dming uh throughout the year not not as part of our regular 
gains in uh, something in addition because I, I find that I can uh, it, it hasn't been this year uh, that hard to maintain a really good level of commitment to uh, to the channel uh, while still also I mean it's also the pandemic so I'm locked down what else am I going to do um, I've also you know I've had my best year ever in terms of uh, billable hours too so it's you know uh, I mean in a year where all you can do is uh, is work and um, you know, uh, work and, and play games. Um, it's been a boon for, for this cowboy. So, um, but, um, where am I going here? I think I'm going here. Okay. Um, but the, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what we're doing with the, um, the charity sessions. We're going to, instead of, we're going to do more innovative ways of, Hopefully, allowing some more um, participation uh, as well too. I, I've um, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but one of the things I really and and like it has nothing. I don't mean this as a criticism of people who do it for their channels, uh, but I don't want to do fundraising for my channel um, in the way that the like there's donations to get astonishing fortune in in our regular games, or there's donations to add a you know, a challenge or whatnot, like ways that donations can, can change the flow of the experience at the table. Cause at the end of the day, you know, we're, or first and foremost, I should say, like, we're all playing these games because together, because we want to play together. Like the, all of us who play together on the channel, uh, the roster of players that we have, uh, these are all friends of mine as well too. So it's not like we are, um, you know, we're, uh, we are, we have seen enough financial success this year to be able to buy copies of the um, 89 edition of the AD&D second edition player's handbook, or we're very close to paying off that <laughs> right now. It might be a little bit more, but we, that, that's that been great. And, you know, um, what I always want to do is when, if we do see any direct uh, financial success, I want to make sure that's going to thank the players for participating in a meaningful way. We've got some ideas uh, for the new year uh, that we're not quite ready to talk about yet, but we're going to talk about soon. Well, probably not soon, probably not until the, the, once the pandemic is, uh, is over, uh, then we will be talking about what we'll be doing in the coming years. But, um, but we're not, um, you know, we're the primary goal of the, uh, of the channels is not to have any of us quit our day jobs and, and, you know, start just doing this full time. Um, I, you know, um, we love the support the channel has got. And if we did see that level of success, well, then, I mean, we would have to revisit, you know, what those priorities are. But, like, all of us love our day jobs for the most part. Um, all of us love playing these games as a diversion. And in past experience, you know, there is no faster way to rob the fun of something than getting paid for it. And as a with that perspective in mind, you know, we don't want to, or we haven't wanted to have it as part of our regular thing. Like, you know, you buy subscriptions and it's one of the reasons we don't run our games on, on Twitch, uh, because, uh, you know, you buy an X amount of subscriptions and you may have a two, you know, you add your two cents or, you know, having the game and the flow of the game interrupted by thanking subscribers and things like that. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for every subscriber who has, um, deigned to follow our YouTube channel, but, you know, to interrupt the flow of game to do that, just, just kind of, it, it, it's not something I enjoy and it's not what I want out of, uh, 
when I watch live stream things. So that said, the fundraising is a different animal. That's not us trying to get money for us. It's trying to support a charity that we all care about quite a bit. And uh, I think that I would certainly be willing to um, bend my preferences uh, or change shift my preferences, I should say, uh, for for the purpose of raising money for the charity. So so we're going to have more actual particulars about that uh, in the coming, um, you know, weeks. But uh, but I, I I think I'm going to be more comfortable. I mean, if the players want to donate and try and win prizes, I'm all for that. I don't, I don't mind whatsoever. Or if they want to contribute and, and uh, you know, affect the games in, in some minor way, then, uh, I mean, not minor, but in some ways, and that's great. You know, one of the um, uh, fundraising uh, things that, that uh, we had or one of the, uh, the fundraising things that people selected. I've had two people who have selected, three, two or three, three people who have selected um, one of the rewards I used to have, which was adding in an NPC. And I've only successfully added NPCs to two of those. The third one, I just have not had an opportunity in the game to introduce this character yet in a, in a organic way. And I really want to make sure that those people see their, you know, that they're, they're actually getting something out of it, not just like one or two sessions where the characters, you know, there and gone. Um, and I think that what I, I might do something like that again in future, but I think what I'll do is I will make it more clear, uh, that it's going to be a quest, you know, like it'll be a quest so I know that there's a beginning and an end to it, and I can actually make sure that the donor sees the full, um, the full you know part of their donation. Because we had a really interesting uh, goblin NPC that was introduced in one, uh, and then we had a, uh, a support character introduced in another in our Baromace game. Both of them actually in our Baromace games, but because they were sort of like side characters as opposed to the focus of a specific story then uh they just sort of they just disappeared you know like they they were background noise they they made you know an interesting appearance once or twice i did a silly voice for the goblin because he's a goblin and i love doing silly voices for goblins but then he he never really appeared again and that's i don't think that's that's i i can't imagine if uh you know that that's a satisfying um return on the donation and i know that it's a charity donation so like i'm sure the people weren't you know, too pissed about, they weren't like, but I mean, all the same, it, it's, it's money that they could have put elsewhere that they elected to put towards this. And I really want to make sure in future that I, um, I reward that. And, um, I mean, I'm, especially in our sandbox games, it is more than easy to drop in a side quest idea, you know, uh, for, uh, for the players to pick up on. Uh, so I mean, it's it's certainly something I can uh, I can easily, you know, I can easily incorporate into the game. Um, and in addition to that, let's think here. What are the lessons that I learned? One of the lessons I learned is that I ran a lot more games this year, types of games, than I thought I did. So, you know, I was really feeling uh, before I did the tally and before I really thought about it, I, I felt like, oh man, like. And there's nothing wrong with it. Like, you you know, you can't have everything. You know, there's only so much room in the buffet plate. And if you load it up with, uh, you know, scrambled eggs, you're not getting anything else. Um, but not to say that, um, you know, AD&D is just scrambled eggs. Although, I mean, I love scrambled eggs. What am I talking about? Um, what I think the, um, the, the lesson is, is that even in, um, even if we're keeping a regular schedule and like, 
Uh, what I know, one other stat though I found interesting was that um, of the total number of hours we ran this year, only 17% of them, roughly, about mm, close to 18% of them were spent doing pickup games or charity games or something like that, which meant that the vast majority of the sessions we ran this year were as scheduled. You know, they were, they were the ones that we were intending on running and we ran them. And that's awesome. You know, like I, uh, if we want to understand why there's been the level of continued investment, not only from the players, but from the viewers and myself, um, is that consistency. You know, when it becomes, when something becomes a routine and part of your, your life and an expected part of your life, it's a lot easier to get excited for that first to show up for it and to make time for that. And that's been fantastic. Uh, is that so many of our games were the ones we actually intended to run. Even though we ran some, in the latter half of the year, we ran some pickup games when we were down some players. To be honest, so the characters are at, are at a level in both games right now where, like, three players is really all we need. We don't we don't need to worry about, like, oh, we're going to get in a combat encounter. And a part of that is also the NPCs. And I guess that, you know, one thing that... I, I've got plans for a bunch of different games, or I've been thinking about a bunch of different games, and really trying to winnow down the list to things that I'm genuinely like, I know precisely what I want to do with that, or I've got a really good idea of what I want to do with it. And, um, and the ongoing games. But, um, the one thing that I think I, um, you know, the lesson I've learned is for my next second edition campaign, you know, I, um, Night Below was an outgrowth of my wonderful experience running Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. So I wanted to try something along those lines. And um, with a lot of the rules, the old school rules for survival and time tracking and things like that. And I also wanted to try something that was a sandbox with a loose structure to it. You know, with a plot going through, but with the players able to kind of go where they want and do what they want. Um, Leg Legacy of the Crystal Shard, our pandemic game that was a refinement of that idea and that I think was a really there's things that I, I did differently in Legacy of the Crystal Shard I don't wish I had done them with Night Below because it's a different game but I think that I'd like to try some of those things in our next game particularly the way that the adventure sets up um, a clear clear basis for like these are the you know here's the what's going on in here pick one of these problems to deal with and then the other ones will continue advancing as you're, you know, as uh, you deal with that first one, you know and it was great, like it's been it's been really, really cool and I think that the players being able to um to have that kind of investment in the, uh, in the game and seeing actual change they saved a dwarven community, you know, I, I want to say kingdom, because it's kind of close to a kingdom, but um, they saved the entire community, you know, <clears throat> at least from the problems they had at first. Whether there are more problems still lingering is another question, but uh, yeah, so I mean, like, that's a huge thing, and now they're on, on the way to try to um, to thwart the efforts of this really nasty lady, and there still is another problem that they have not dealt with, but that's awesome, like, that was just so cool, you know, it's so cool that um, it, there was that clever structure and it, I think it because things were happening behind the scenes while the players were dealing with you know whatever problem they chose to address it just gave the world a very lived in incredible feel and it also made for really great stakes like the stakes were really really raised in it 
And I think that is definitely the approach that I want to uh, to take for my next um, AD&D second uh, campaign is to have not not only um, the um, you know uh, the the ticking the type of sandbox that that uh, allows them to go and, and do what they want, like with Night Below, but also to add in the um, the uh, the element of um, obvious villains. I think I'd like to try... Well, the one thing with Legacy of Crystal Shard is there isn't really a sense of time in it. <clears throat> because, you know, the, the way the adventure is structured, you can't really... You know, if you set things to a set schedule, then, you know, it, it's you're setting your players up for a failure because the campaign will go where it goes. But, I mean, setting that aside, um, I, I really would like to, I think, for, for the next game to be something where, again, we start at first level, we see the players come in as outsiders with maybe a couple members of the party as invested or maybe even I do it no have them all invested because that worked out really well with some of the characters it's just you know um i think that the legacy of the crystal shard game with the training time not necessarily the training money that we have in a night below would really give the game a good um a good feeling of, of uh, progression without that I think was something that was an irritant for the players is the idea that they really they had to keep sink like scrambling for every single gold coin to just pay for training and like I think that if they've been spending those month that those gold coins on things like healing potions and whatnot themselves rather than me feeding them to them in a um, in a roundabout way that probably would have amplified the sense of agency that the players had so I probably would uh would hand wave the uh, the cost of training for next time. Um, as for where, you know, Dark Sun is one of the reasons why I wanted to get back into AD&D second, and we now find ourselves a year out from um, a lot of AD&D being played, and I still haven't got our Dark Sun back to the table. And for those who aren't familiar, Dark Sun is the uh, post-apocalyptic kind of magical swords and sorcery meets John Carter of Mars kind of ecological catastrophe, you know, magic setting. Um, it is there definitely much more swords and sorcery than, uh, than other, uh, settings. It takes all the usual, uh, recognizable tropes of D and D and puts it on a, uh, puts a twist to it. So like halflings are different and dwarves are different and half, uh, elves are different. Half elves are different. They introduce some interesting new creature, new races like Thrycreen and Mules, which are um, half, you know, half-breed uh, elf, uh, not elf, uh, human and uh, dwarf um, uh, uh, species or race or ancestry, and um, half giants, you know, and which are a magical creation of uh, from long, long, long ago. It's got this great, like, timeless, depressing feel to the setting as well, too, with tons of very interesting scheming antagonists and I think you can tell a really interesting story with personal stakes in that game because the one, the one mistake I, th I think that they made with the setting as a whole is you know um, in other settings the feeling is, is you need to have substantive change to feel like there's you know overthrowing the evil ruler and things like that in order for there to be a feeling of accomplishment or a feeling of progress. And Dark Sun decided that that was the same, to take the same route, and then, like, basically threw out much of the contents of the original box set as soon as it came out. 
not only uh, by changing elements of the setting, but also by like revealing some of the greatest secrets of that setting, which was a huge, I mean, in my mind, a huge mistake. Like, what a great thing to, which would be much more interesting to learn. There's secrets of the setting that would be so much more interesting to have learned over the course of play than for reading them in a source book or reading them in a novel. You know, you don't have to shatter the setting and overthrow the Sorcerer Kings in order for the heroes to the players to feel like heroes or alternatively to feel like they've got accomplishments you know treat them like the like the eternal perpetual corruption of civilization has been a running theme in uh, Conan stories and it's just that his stories don't run like um, you know they don't run like a like a Tolkien-esque or a, a you know a traditional fantasy kind of thing where for the, on on by and large, um, heroes will come out on top in the end, and and evil will have its comeuppance. That's not the case in Dark Sun. You know, uh, more often than not, um, those in power are are in power because of a degree of ruthlessness or or just power, sheer power, and the power itself in that setting transforms you into something inhuman. So if you are in power and you're not human, how can you possibly have an idea of what is best for the lowly mortals that uh, that may be following you, you know, it's just it is a it's a great great setting, and I think uh, it, the um, there's a great video I watched recently by uh, the uh, channel uh, for H uh, Bomber guy. I can't remember what his last name is Harris something or other. It's a great channel, uh, and it's worth checking it out if you like uh, politics or you like um, video games or things like that. But he does a, an overview of. Um, um, Fallout New Vegas, and uh, it has some really, really, really great ideas. I never played the game. I won't ever play the game. But his perspective on what makes that work as a sandbox game, and what makes the, um, you know, uh, what makes the uh, adventures and things like that so good in that, and how to structure the end, the player incentive in an, in a wide open world is great ideas and it happens to be in a post-apocalyptic setting so it's great stuff that has helped me grapple with not only dark sun but ideas for running savage rifts uh the uh savage worlds uh riff on the uh, palladium you know wahoo kind of uh gonzo post-apocalyptic setting uh, and for degenesis so i mean really really great ideas uh on that as well um so that's what i think i like my my first test case over the holidays is going to be to start to planning for that. I don't have any plans to run that anytime uh, soon, but I want to start putting some stuff together so that when when we do get to the point where we're going to be making room in our schedule and uh, planning a new AD&D game, if we're going to play another ongoing AD&D game like we did. And I mean, I think this, again, for the reasons I've talked about, I think the reasons why that... There's also reason, things about the game itself that just because of the random encounters, because of the random you know, um, the random uh, magic items and the randomness of dice rolls and combat and so forth. It just, um, it does very, very well over the long term. There's things that come out in an AD&D game over the long term that just you don't get, I don't think, without making changes in, uh, you know, from other games. Um, the, let's see here. Um, the, oh, the other thing, I, the last thing I'll say is I had a, a pretty rude comment on uh, our YouTube channel uh, recently about uh, we were talking about sandbox games and uh, as compo- as opposed to uh, Adventure Pass and this the, I don't know if this person was trying to be sarcastic or not but 
you know, it's tough to read in print. And there, there was a, basically a pissy, you know, comment about how, like, don't tell us how to play games. And, like, for those who have followed me on the uh, YouTube channel or follow this podcast, like, when the fuck have I ever said, this is how you have to run a game? So if they've taken it to be that way, I'm fairly fucking certain we never said that this is the only way to run things. And if they took it that way, they're being overly defensive and, and whatnot. So I'm sorry that, it, you know, I hate when people apologize by saying I, I'm sorry that you're offended. But in this case, I genuinely mean it. Like, we didn't fucking mean any intent. Obviously, play your game however you want to play your game. But what this person said was that, you know, I'd much rather run play a, you know, the classic enemy within campaign with all the handouts and this and this than just a sandbox where player, a DM's making it up as they go along. And not only is it rude, it's just that particular comment was so fucking ignorant of what a sandbox campaign is. It is not where you just go around and random events happen over and over again without consequence or attachment to what came before. The sandbox campaign where you're running random elements is stitching together the cloth that makes up the overall campaign. The elements that are introduced are unexpected and they're random, but they are not without context. You find out what that context is. You figure out what the context is on the basis of what's come before and what you'd like to see come in the future. What it isn't is expecting an ending, which is what those other campaigns are. And that's not a better way or a worse way to run things. It's perfectly fine. I mean, there's uh, Paizo's whole business model is based off of that. So there's tons and tons of people who enjoy that. And that's fine. For myself, I prefer the sandbox game. I like being surprised by what's happening. I like not having to readjust what players are doing to fit what the uh, assumed conclusion is going to be. And yes, those campaigns, especially the better ones, have lots of variety for it. But, um, you know, the um, uh, it's, it's not... Um, it, I, it still ends up with... It's ending up in a box that is uh, somewhere, you know, it's target somewhere within a, a predetermined box. And the thing with the the uh, the type of sandbox games is that there isn't a box. There's stuff that comes to matter and comes to mean things over the course of a campaign, but it is even more an emergent story and an improvised campaign that ends up having meaning by virtue of moving through it and the accumulation of all the amazing things that have happened. Um, it is not just going and randomly rolling dice for each day. Like, uh, for someone to have watched any of our sessions and drawn nothing from that was very, very... It's a little disheartening, but the fa the tone of the comment is what has me a little heated right now. It's just because it's it was so rude and such a misinterpretation. And I, I did something I normally don't do, which is I didn't block, prevent the person from posting anything in future. Um, they, this particular person has posted stuff in the past and maybe they're having a bad day and maybe they misheard or misinterpreted something, but you know, the, um, it's, it's the kind of shitty comment that, uh, in past, if it's the first time I've heard from someone, I'll just block them. Cause like they're either not paying attention or they're not trying to, to see things, uh, from a generous way. They're just doing what shitty fans do of every other thing is just choosing to interpret it in the way they want so they can be pissed off about it and put their post their rant and I have absolutely no fucking time for anyone like that um, it, I just it life is way too fucking short uh, to bother putting up with uh, people like that we've had 
uh, with the channel getting more successful, we've seen a couple more people crop up on the Discord server who have been of that vein, and they're, they're gone right away because I, I just I don't fucking care. If if our channel never grew beyond the you know core fans that we see regularly in the game and and the people I get to play with you know uh, multiple times a week, um, I don't care. You know, like we do this because we love running games we love meeting new people and we love that we are helping other people see other ways to play the game one of my most gratifying comments two of the most gratifying comments come from two different age uh spectrums you know over the past year and this has helped me clarify over the past year why i love running streaming games and uh, running them on the channel and maintaining the discord and all that other stuff is because i had a couple of guys who are uh a couple years older than me who had played, you know, a lot of old school games back in the day as well, and this, you know, seeing the the overview of second edition or seeing the campaigns, it prompted them to go and start running games of their own. You know, dig their books out and that's it. And they weren't gamers; they've been twenty years away from the game, but this is what got them back, and that's fucking awesome. I love that, especially with how much people have been restricted in their usual ways of enjoying them themselves. And I've also had. Uh, at least, I mean, I don't know how many other have done this, but I've heard from one young player, a guy in his early 20s, who, uh, what his group was playing fifth, and they that was their first game, and uh, they just wanted to try something different, and they really liked the way second started. So they've kicked off a second edition campaign. And like, again, like regular viewers know, I'm a non, you know, I, I'm a uh, all, you know, equal opportunity offender as far as editions uh, go. I love all the editions of D&D to different degrees, some more than others, but I love all versions of D&D. I, I love the, the game. I love most role-playing games. So I don't, you know, I'm, I don't, you know, the fact that we run a lot of second edition doesn't set us as like, this is the only way to do it. But it is really great that someone who's new to the hobby found something I was like, hey, maybe this may more speak to the experience I want to have with my bu- my buddies at the table. And that's awesome. That is so great because, I mean, we enjoy playing these games so much. And if people find that it, their sensibilities are the same, then that's fantastic. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, and if, if the, the person who posted, if you do happen to listen to the podcast and you either, you're, what our comment was with respect to ongoing campaigns or preset campaigns was uh, was mis- misunderstood. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you, you took it that way. It Nothing that we've ever done on the channel in our overviews, our actual plays, in my podcast, nothing has ever said this is the way to do it. And if you're a regular viewer or a regular listener, you'll know that. So I'm sorry if you took it that way, but that certainly is not what uh, was intended. Um, and I hope that you uh, have found more You've found better context by watching more of what we've actually we actually do in the podcast and on the um, on the channel. So, in any event, so those are some lessons I learned from the year. I got to run and grab some mail. Let's wrap this sucker up. All right, so I just finished picking up my last package from Paizo for the year, uh, and that should have, I think, the new. Um, uh, Alien Archive 4 uh, in there. Uh, there's some new uh, PF2 stuff that's in there. And uh, there are, because my son and I have been running a uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition uh, game uh, between the uh, a father and son game night thing. And we're going to play a lot of that over the holidays. Um, the pocket editions of the uh, 
core rule book. I got two, one for myself, one for my boy. I got uh, bestiary or bestiary uh, in there, and I got the um, um, pre-order. I got the GMC, the GM's uh, guide. But in any event, it's lots of great. So I got some good gaming to dig into uh, tonight. Um, and I think I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and record a, a video tonight too, an overview to, to match with this. I'm going to try and not repeat just everything that I've said thus far. And it, but, um, cause I got to talk about the, the whole year on that one, I guess. Um, but again, you know, one of the things that, um, I, uh, I am grateful for is, uh, when I, I know that this year, my, this podcast has certainly gone off the rails and, uh, I want to make sure I get back on track uh, with this one. And one of the things that, um, the, uh, one suggestion that, uh, came from George, uh, one of our uh, listeners and howdy George, uh, was, the kind of uh, system analysis or system discussion that I did about Trudvang um, in the last episode. And uh, yeah, I mean, like I, you know, I often procrastinate in recording my uh, overviews for the uh, channel uh, because I know they get a lot of views and, and uh, they, they tend to be, I, with a lot, knowing there's a lot of eyeballs on it and that I, I the way I record them all in one take, I, um, I prefer to have my thoughts collected for those and be ready to say whatever it is I'm going to say about the uh, the particular game. Um, but on this format, it's a lot easier. This is a much more conversational, relaxed format. You guys have, I mean, I don't need to tell those who are listening to this uh, that. I mean, they know the sometimes digression, you know, uh, style rants that I get into on, uh, <laughs> on this podcast. And I mean, it'll be good to do that, you know, um, in the coming year. I've actually, I've been working quite a bit on um, Ars Magica, uh, third edition right now. I've actually, well, third edition and um, fifth edition, because those are the two editions that I have most heavily invested in. And those, for different reasons, they, they appeal to me in different ways. Uh, and it's interesting because they end up being kind of like, um, you know, devil and angel, although they're both... Not neither devil nor angel. They're both just awesome fucking games. One just have, has a um, some design decisions that are different, and some thematic decisions that are different from the other. And I think it it will um, at, thinking about the two of them in the coming uh, weeks and months is going to be interesting, if only because uh, it'll help inform which of the two, or maybe both, that I uh, I want to run in the coming year. But um, you know. Uh, I am just eternally grateful uh, for that uh, there are folks who find this podcast uh, helpful uh, or at least interesting, um, <laughs> if not helpful, perhaps as a cautionary tale in some cases. Uh, but I, uh, I, I enjoy this. You know, I, I don't. I have not had an opportunity to uh, to do a lot of it this year, um, so it means that I'm also not getting voice messages or emails or things like that. So I don't get a chance to. Um, I don't get a chance to respond quite as much as um, as I would like. Um, or at least interact, but I mean the Discord server has, has provided a pretty great opportunity uh, to do that as well. But anyway, with the holiday season almost uh, Im- or rather imminently upon us, I do hope that this finds everybody healthy, safe, and weathering the current crisis as well as can be expected. I hope that uh, this podcast has given you a couple of hours uh, in uh, this episode, in every episode uh, of uh, time to take your mind off of the troubles of our world and think about the troubles that some of my players get into or myself that I cause uh, for our players 
And until I see you again, Happy New Year and happy gaming.